Well, this morning we're finishing a three-part kind of mini-sermon series on the gospel. I don't know if this series has felt a little familiar to some of you. I mean, hopefully it feels very familiar in the fact that we talk about the gospel all the time, literally every week. And if I stop talking about the gospel every week, then you need to find a new pastor. But about nine years ago, in a few weeks, I think, I started as the senior pastor at this church. And my first sermon series was a three-part series on the gospel. This series. And as I was thinking about everything that was going on in our church and what to preach, and and I needed something to fill a couple weeks before we get to our Matthew series that will be starting next week. I needed some time to finish up the background study, and I thought, what should we focus on? Let's go back. Let's go back nine years ago to where we started, where I started at least, and just came in and said, kind of like the first sermon three weeks ago, where uh, that football coach held up the football and said, gentlemen, this is a football. And as your pastor... I wanted to say, friends, this is the gospel. This is what defines us. It's what creates us as a church. It's what unites us as a church. It's the very reason that we are not only able to come together, but the reason we come together and the reason we leave to go out into our homes and our places of work and our neighborhoods to demonstrate and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you ever feel like Something needs to change in this world. Do you ever not feel like something needs to change in this world? Maybe that's an easier one to answer. Do you ever feel like something needs to change in you? Do you ever feel like nothing is going to change? Like there's nothing powerful enough to make that change? And sure, I pray, I hope as Christians, we come together and we read the word and we say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But then in the day in, day out, grind of life. I know I do. Those thoughts pop in. Is there anything really powerful enough to change the world? That's what we're going to talk about today. The gospel is God's great power. It's not just something you believe in. It's not just something you proclaim. It's not just a prayer you pray at one time to receive Jesus. The gospel is described in Scripture as being powerful to change us and to change this world. So that's what we're going to look at. The gospel is powerful. But to understand the power of the gospel, let's briefly review. This is easy because there's only been two other weeks. But we looked at the gospel as God's great news. The word itself means good news. I, I like to change it a little bit to great news because I think that's, it just gives more of the emphasis. It's the best news ever. The gospel is the truth that Jesus Christ, God's son, died on the cross in our place, taking our punishment, the punishment for our sins that we deserved. He took it all. And then he conquered sin and death and rose from the grave and promises eternal life to all who believe. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That is the best news you will ever hear because that news changes everything. And then we looked at the gospel is God's great plan. From Genesis to Revelation, sure, we can look at the gospels, and we'll be looking at one starting next week, the gospel of Matthew. And we call them the gospels because they contain the the truth about Jesus Christ, his story, his account of how he 
called his disciples, well, it starts with his birth, obviously, calling of the disciples, leading to the cross, the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, and his earthly teachings. And we call those the Gospels. But don't for a moment think that the Gospel is only contained in the first four books of the, Old, or of the New Testament. Genesis to Revelation is the Gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about God's plan to create us for a relationship with him, to save us back into that relationship with him, and to live forever and ever in a relationship with him. That's what the Bible is all about. And so today we're going to look at the gospel is God's great power. And the best place to start with this is Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Think about who wrote those words. This is the Apostle Paul, in case you don't know. And think about how he lived his life. He traveled from one Roman city to another, and he would start with groups of Jewish people that were there, people that believed in the Yahweh of the Old Testament, believed that the Messiah was coming, and he had the best job in the world to go in and tell them, your Messiah has come. I've seen him. He appeared to me. He died on a cross. He rose from the grave. This was the best news ever. City after city after city, the Jewish people in that city rejected him. Sometimes brutally so. Well, then he would go to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Certainly they would want this hope. You know how this goes even in your own life. Often most of those rejected him as well. But there were always some There were always some that said yes to Jesus. And a church would start. And the gospel would go out from those people and change their community and change their city. So much so that the Roman Empire, the Roman government began to be afraid of Christians because of the impact this small ragtag group of people, much like us, were having in their world. Because they believed in the power of the gospel. So as Paul is thinking and writing to the Roman Christians that he's never met, and he's thinking, what do they need to know? What they need to know is the gospel is powerful. And I think that this was something, I I have no scripture to base this on, but I imagine if I'm in the place of Paul every time I went to a new city, and I wondered what was going to happen there, and I wondered if I should even go and proclaim the good news, I bet this thought would pop into his head I believe in the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. You may have heard that the root, the Greek word here, is dunamis, which means power. And and yes, there's a link between that word and our modern day dynamite. Okay, so power. We think of dynamite as something that explodes. Now, this is a movie picture. That's probably more gasoline than dynamite, but you get the picture. Much more interesting than just seeing dynamite explode. Dynamite is powerful. It's a moving experience, I imagine. It moves one wall one way and another wall another way, and the roof it moves completely off and blows things apart. Very destructive, very powerful, but very destructive. There's another word that uses this root, this dunamis, and it's the word dynamo. Do you know what a dynamo is? You probably know it by another word. A generator. 
A dynamo is a particular type of generator. I don't know what separates it from other generators, so I won't try. I shouldn't have said that because then you might know that I was really smart, but I'm, I don't know, but it's different. But the difference between dynamite and a dynamo is that when dynamite goes off, boom, power goes out, and then it's over like that. Power's gone. A dynamo keeps on giving out power over and over and over, supplying electricity to cities, to homes, to businesses. So when we talk about the gospel being powerful, I want you to think about it being this dynamo. The cross just churning out life-giving power generation after generation after generation. And to say that the gospel is powerful is much more than just wishful thinking. Oh, I just hope the gospel will change me. I just hope the gospel will change our church. I just hope the gospel will change our world. In Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll look at that in a bit, Paul talks about the power that rose Christ from the dead. Now that's power. If power can take a dead body and put life back into it, I would say that's pretty powerful. And Paul says that same power is at work in us, the followers of Jesus Christ. So no, this is not just wishful, pie-in-the-sky, drink-in-the-Kool-Aid sort of thinking here. This is a truth based on the gospel and the, or the cross and the resurrection that this power is something we can trust in and something we can base our lives on. So what does this power do? Well, it's powerful to save us. Many people struggle to feel good enough for God. We look at our lives, we look at our past, we look at our present. Maybe we even look at our future and where we're going and we say, why would God love me? Why would he care about me? What could possibly change those things from my past? Those things that were done to me that I have no control over, but they have marked me and they have changed me. Or maybe you look at your past and you say, those things that I have done, I am that person. How could anybody love that person? And we say, I'm not good enough. And this is where I love to proclaim a powerful gospel. Because it is stronger than anything in your past, present, or future. The power of the gospel. Paul writes, 116 and 17, we looked at the beginning, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. But then look at what he says, for in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. How is this powerful gospel a revelation or a demonstration of God's righteousness? Is it some new standard? Great, so we had the Old Testament law, and that was really hard, and basically nobody could live up to that. Now we have the New Testament standard of Jesus Christ, an even higher standard of righteousness. Great, no one can live up to that. Is that what he's talking about? No. The gospel is not a standard of righteousness. It is the power of righteousness. It changes us. God's righteousness works through the cross of Jesus Christ that pays for all of our sins so that we are no longer guilty. And then the gospel says that we get Christ's perfect righteousness, the thing that is our ultimate standard that we fall short of, Christ's righteousness. 
absolute sinless perfection. And God says, through faith in Jesus Christ, that righteousness, completely unearned and undeserved, is given to each person that trusts in Jesus Christ. We, through Jesus Christ, are made righteous. One of my favorite illustrations is this idea of the sun and an ice cube. I've used this before. I'll use it again because I love this. Imagine the sun burning hot, just obliterating anything that comes close, wants to have a relationship with a few ice cubes. And those ice cubes are way out in space and they're frozen and they're just doing fine. I mean, a little cold, but they're doing okay. Kind of like it that way. And one day the sun says, I want to have a relationship. Sun, S-U-N. I want to have a relationship with those ice cubes. I want them to know me, so I'm going to draw them closer. And what happens is ice gets closer and closer to the sun. It begins to melt. At some point, I think the melting is completely skipped over, and it just begins to completely vaporize. At some point, I think the vaporizing would even be skipped over, and it just gets broken down into like its individual molecules and atoms or something. It's not a good experience for the ice cube. And this is a picture of all holy God wanting to have a relationship with sinful people. We cannot, in our sinfulness, come into the presence of a holy God. And you see this throughout the Old Testament as a holy God draws in the Jewish people and he lives in their midst in the tabernacle and the temple. And you see these buffers that he puts in place to maintain a relationship. The tabernacle, the law, the priesthood, the holy of holies separated from the rest. And all of this is like an airlock system between the sun, God's righteous holiness, and the ice, our sinful selves. So that he can be as close as he can to his people. But it's not a perfect system. It allows a relationship, but something needs to change. The ice needs to be changed into something that longs to, wants to, finds great joy and pleasure in the presence of the Son. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are changed from sinners into the righteousness of Christ. So instead of coming to the presence of the Son like an ice cube, we come into the presence of the Son like a glowing ember that is not obliterated, but made to shine brighter in the presence of our Savior. There is a joy because we have been given new life. We are changed. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 22 says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, and in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the most holy place was the place God chose to make his presence dwell in a powerful way. And he specifically said to the Israelites, stay away. Anyone that comes in there will be obliterated. Only once a year, only the high priest, and only with a sacrifice can enter the most holy place. And there were all these rules and regulations. And all of it was to teach God's people, I am holy, you are not. It was a protection for us. But now the author of Hebrews says, since we have confidence confidence to enter that most holy place. We don't have to be scared to come into the presence of God. Something has changed by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. What's the sacrifice that allows us to come into the most holy place? 
sacrifices the Son of God who gave his life for us. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The gospel is powerful to save. It breaks through all those things you look at in your life and you say, God can't love me. God can't love me because of this, because of my past, because of my present. There's no way he could love me. And we need to stop and say, wait a minute. My sin is not nearly as powerful as the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel conquers sin every time. We were dead in sin, but we are made alive through Jesus Christ. We were God's enemies, but now we are adopted as God's children through Jesus Christ. We are a new creation in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel at work. You might think, well, that seems great. But again, if you're anything like me, you still struggle from time to time. Okay, I believe it. I cling to it with all the, all the faith that I have, but man, I'm struggling to see it now. I'm struggling to live it out now. The gospel is also powerful to change us. Paul talks about this struggle that I think we can all identify with in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. He says, So I find this work, or this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. Do you feel the tension he's describing there? I want to trust Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to obey him. But there's this other part of me, and it's pulling in the other direction. I also kind of want the sin. And I want the control that if I just do this, then I know what, what yeah, I know I should trust God and what he's going to do, but I kind of want some control. So that's sin too. I want to do it my own way. I want to feel joy my own way. I want to feel satisfaction my own way. And we have this constant tension. And then in the next two verses, Paul gives the solution. And it starts with this. What a wretched man I am. I think part of the reason we don't feel the power to change in our own life is that we're unwilling to start there. Wretched, hopeless, unable to change myself. If we don't make that the starting point, we're not going to see the change that the gospel makes. We cannot do it ourselves. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. In the middle of Paul's struggle, feeling pulled this way to righteousness through the power of the Holy Spirit, but also still feeling feeling the pull of the, the sin, and he's saying, who will rescue me? And he goes back to the gospel. Jesus Christ, the one who died to save me, is powerfully at work in me. It's another illustration I've used before. Anybody recognize this? Let's see who the science fiction kind of geeks in the 
congregation are. This is from the very first Star Wars movie that came out, which I believe is episode four, which makes no sense, but don't worry about it. (laughs) That man there with his back to us is Luke Skywalker, right? And he's purchasing robots. They call them droids. And he buys this one. I can't remember the name of it. It's an R2 unit. Yeah, R2-D2 somebody else. This is the R2 unit. (laughs) Won't go down that rabbit hole. So in this, Luke is with his uncle, and they're buying these helpers for their farm. And and so he's about to purchase this robot. And as he calls it, and it's, it's coming over, you can see what happens. Flames shoot out of it, smoke comes out, and it kind of freaks out. It is the epitome of special effects from, like, the mid-70s, I think it was, or so. So Luke turns around, and he makes a statement to his uncle. In the whiny voice that Luke Skywalker of the first movie could only do, Uncle Owen! This is a common thing in Star Wars lore. Luke in the first movie was so whiny. We don't know why. And he says, Uncle Owen, this droid's got a bad motivator. Now, I have actually heard that phrase several times, and I watch Star Wars way too much, okay? But I've heard that phrase several times throughout the Star Wars. The motivator. It's some part of a robot is evidently the motivator. Now, what is a motivator? A motivator is what makes you want to do something. It's what makes you feel good or drives you. It pushes you to want to do something. I have no idea how that applies to a robot. I think they totally made it up, but I love that they did. Because you want to know the problem with each one of us? We have bad motivators. We live our lives in that picture right there. I want this. And God's going, I want I have something so much better. I know, but I kind of want this. But I have something so much better. I, I know, but I want this. Our motivation is constantly pulling us away from God, what God has for us. And this is where we need to believe in and trust in and remind ourselves each and every day of the power of the gospel to change us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according or in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, understand there's two things going on. Paul is telling them, hey, you believe in Jesus, now live it out. Live it out. There's, there's that motivation that should go in one way. Obedience. Obey Christ. Obey Christ. Obey Christ. And as a Christian, I hear that and I go, I'm trying. I want to. I really do. But I also want this other stuff. And there's the bad motivator. But look, listen to Paul's answer. For it is God who works in you to will. That means to want to do something. And then to act, to actually do something in order to fulfill his good purpose. So where does the motivation take place to follow Christ? Is it us just trying really hard to be really good? No. It's the power of the gospel at work in us. It is God's work in us causing us to want to follow him. 
Obedience, then, is an act of faith. It's not opposite from faith. We believe God is at work, causing us to want to obey. Therefore, we step out in faith, trusting the work that he is doing within us. The gospel is powerful to change us. It doesn't just leave us stuck in this tension. God is reworking our motivation from the inside out so that we want to follow him. And again, you might stop and say, but I don't, I I get that. I do. I just don't feel that. This is where faith is so important. Because Satan loves to come along and talk about our feelings. Well, this is what you're seeing in the world. This is what you're feeling. This is what's really going on. Faith looks past that and says, I have a God who sent his son to die on the cross, who is powerfully at work changing me from the inside out. Whether I feel like it or not, that is the truth. The truth of the power of the gospel. Finally, the gospel is powerful to unite us. Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. Paul here is praying for the church. And that's important. He's not just praying for an individual. He's praying for the church, specifically here, the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Let me just pause there for a second. For some reason, some Christians over the ages have had this idea that I don't really need to know stuff about God. I don't really need to know my Bible. I just need to feel love. That's garbage. That's the theological term for it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, is praying to God Almighty through the power of Jesus Christ that the church, the collection of God's people, would know Christ more and more. Don't ever stop growing in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because, friends, he is infinite. And you can never exhaust knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, it's one of the things I look forward to in heaven. Forever and ever, every single moment of every day, there will be something new to learn about our God and our Savior. His glorious inheritance and his holy people. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, that power that Paul wants us to know and to trust in, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. You think it took a bit of power for the Son of God to take on flesh and then to take our sin and then to die on the cross, and then to raise from the dead, and then to ascend back into heaven, and to rule over all earthly and spiritual powers, both now and forever. Do you think that's pretty powerful? Paul says, guess what? That power is at work in the church. Oh, how we as Christians fret. Oh, how we wring our hands. Oh, the government's keeping us from meeting together. They're not letting us sing. We have to wear a mask. Oh, the church is going to fall apart. Stop it. The 
power of the gospel is always at work in the church of Jesus Christ. We don't hold the church together. And when we try to, bad things happen. The gospel is what unites us as the church. And then he goes on. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. If we believe in a Savior who is powerful to die on the cross and to conquer the grave, let us also believe in a Savior who is powerfully at work in the church today. Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 3. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I imagine God up in heaven when his angels are going, what what are you doing? Or when Satan comes and says, you're a joke and you failed. And he says, look, look look there. Look right there at 2285 Ladder Road. And then look over there and over there and this other church and this other one here and look around the world and look throughout history. He says, that's my wisdom at work. No one else can do that. No one else can take someone lost and helpless and hopeless and turn them into a very display of the power of the glory of God. And God says and points to you, I did that. And I am doing that. And I will keep on doing that. That's my wisdom on display. The church demonstrates God's power to the world. And by doing so and focusing on the gospel, we are united. That's where our focus needs to be as a church always and forever, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I showed you a picture of an explosion earlier. I think it was a boat just blowing up, pieces going everywhere. You know, I think we feel kind of blown up sometimes piece of our life flying over here, piece of our life flying over here, our marriage going in one direction, kids in the other, job in another, try to go to church, but it's kind of going over here too. The world, you turn on the news and there's just pieces flying everywhere. We live in the explosion. See, we don't need power like dynamite to come in and blow things up more. What if you could run that video in reverse? What if there was a power that could come into the explosion when everything seems out of control and piece by piece grab onto it and draw it back together and knit it back into something whole and perfect? That's what the gospel is doing in your life. That's what the gospel is doing in the church. And that's what the gospel is doing in this world. Don't ever underestimate the power of the gospel to restore to recreate, to remake, and to heal. We as a church are driven by the gospel. 
This is our mission statement. We exist to make and become fully devoted followers of Christ through the power or the renewing and transforming power of the gospel. That's that remaking, joining together, renewing and transforming power of the gospel for the glory of God. We are made by the gospel. We are made for the gospel, to take the gospel into this world. It's not about us. It's all about God and living out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this as we come together and we proclaim and dwell on the gospel. As we sing songs that are about the gospel, we pray prayers based on the gospel. We go to Sunday school or prayer meetings focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it must not stop there. The gospel must so drench us that when we are out in the world being wrung out, what comes out of us is the gospel of Jesus Christ in every situation. Because the gospel is powerful. And you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that power is in you and is powerful enough to change the people around you as well. And there's an incredible amount of hope in that. Next week, we're going to start a new sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew. And we'll see our Savior born, call his disciples. We'll see him teach into a culture very different than ours, but we'll look at how it applies. We'll see how he interacted with religious leaders, lovingly at times, harshly at other times. We'll see how he interacted with sinful people that we can probably identify with. And the love and grace he showed them, but the uncompromising way he points to the truth of the cross and the resurrection. But for today, I want to ask you, have you been changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And if the answer is no, stop listening to the lies of this world. Stop listening to the lies in your own head that say, you've got this, you can fix it, you can change it. There is so much freedom that comes the moment we say, I can't, but God can. Let today be the day that the greatest news of this world becomes the greatest news of your life. And for the rest of us in the day in and day out struggle, stop, hit the pause button, Go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Rehearse the truths. The Son of God came to save you. He died in your place. He rose from the dead. That power is at work within you. It is changing you from the inside and uh, from the inside out, pulling you toward holiness and obedience and calling you to step out in faith. Remember that truth, come what may. Because there's a lot of lies that are going to want to take the place of that powerful truth that is the greatest news ever. And then let us, Orchard Community Church, continue to ask ourselves, how are we going to trust and live out the gospel of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we could talk about the gospel over and over and over again and never completely understand the depth or the height or the width of the joy and the power of the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. You have given us all we need to know 
to be saved. All we need to trust in. But then you lay out for us a path, a calling to go deeper, to continue to trust, to continue to understand who Christ is and what he has done for us and this power that is at work. And then to see the world through a different lens, not through a lens of fretting and worrying, but through the lens of the possibility of the power of the gospel doing powerful things in a lost and hopeless world. So may we first trust that gospel. May we speak and demonstrate and live the gospel when we gather together as the local church. And then may we carry the gospel, proclaim the gospel, and live the gospel in our moment-by-moment instances of our lives that others may come to know Jesus and say yes to the greatest news ever. In the powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.